Hey everybody, uh, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder and CEO here at Black Spectacles. Uh, and I'm joined with our producer, Patrick Finnegan and architect, Marissa Yee, who's gonna review several project development and documentation mock exam questions, PDD. Uh, we're gonna go through questions that cover PDD knowledge and skills related to coordinating disciplines uh, for center displays, addressing non-compliance issues in ramp design, meeting requirements for lighting and so much more. So it should be a good session. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, just a bit about Black Spectacles. Uh, we're the leader in, in architecture uh, uh, test prep. We work with learning scientists and architects to ensure you're studying the right content and that you retain it so that you pass the exams on the first try. And we've actually built everything you need to pass the exams including uh, brand new video lectures with motion graphics and 3D animation, practice exams that are as close to the real thing as you can possibly get, um, flashcards, quizzes, and virtual workshops. And they're all built upon a curriculum that ensures you're learning the right content. Um, and then they all work together with our custom-built platform to ensure that you retain the information so you remember it for the exams. That's why our pass rate is 50% higher than the national average and why our members report passing the exams in half the time of the national average. So if you want to learn more about Black Spectacles, you can go to blackspectacles.com. And if you're ready to get studying, stick around at the end uh, today so you can take advantage of our discount for uh, individual memberships. Our next ARE Live session will be on February 21st of 2024, where we'll be discussing the PCM exam. Uh, you can go, and I would recommend right now, go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register right now so that you can be sure that you, um, you know, are signed up for that. Um, and as a reminder, we offer a referral program for firms and schools, where if you introduce us to your boss or your HR leader, and if your company signs up, uh, we'll actually give you a $250 gift card to, to participate. Follow the instructions on this website here, blackspectacles.com slash group dash referral. Um, and uh, yeah, you can earn up to $250 in a gift card. Today, uh, we're going to be engaging exclusively on our online ARE community. So I'd invite all of you right now, and I'm going to do this myself, community.blackspectacles.com. Uh, if you go there and I am going to topics, and indeed Patrick has pinned uh, today's session right at the top. It's the first one, ARE Live, uh, PDD mock exam. I'm going to go in there and I'd invite all of you to uh, just pop in and say hi. Um, what we're going to do is if you have a question today, that's where you can post it. And what's lovely about this is if you post a question here, people can see that question later, uh, which helps people with their studies um, so that's one of the reasons why we encourage people to post their questions here. Um, and everyone who posts in the thread today, even if you all you do is say hello, uh, you'll be eligible to win a free Black Spectacles t-shirt, um, which we'll, uh, we'll announce that at the end of the session today. So uh, with that, I'd like to welcome today's guest, Marissa Yee. Uh, in, addition, in addition to working with us here at Black Spectacles, Marissa is an architect based in San Francisco. Uh, and with that, uh, welcome, Marissa. I'll hand it over to you. Okay, so we'll, we're looking at a PDD mock exam today, and we'll be looking at some changes that occur during our construction documents and DD phases. There's always various changes that we have to go through, uh, whether that be with the client, with uh, some of our consultants uh, mentioning to us, the architect, that, hey, something that we originally chose for the project is not going to work out. And so we, as architects, need to be the problem solvers here and figure out what is the best way to move forward given the various constraints. So with that, let's head to question number one. 
The architect is designing a two-story office workplace and has just completed 50% CDs. At that time, the client informs the architect that they would like to change three rooms that are currently conference rooms into private offices. The area of those rooms are 150 square feet each and are considered unconcentrated assembly space. How will this affect the overall occupant load? Will it A, decrease by nine occupants, B, decrease by 27 occupants, C, increase by nine occupants, or D, increase by 27 occupants? We are given table 1004.5 from the IBC to help us out. So likely, if you were to receive this question on an exam, it would probably be in the case study section. And our answer for question number one is A, D. Oh, my bad. It is B, decreased by 27 occupants. I have the wrong thing highlighted here in my notes. This is our answer, decreased by 27 occupants. And let's head to the next slide to see the various steps we take to get to our answer. So this is a calculation type question. Starting with number one, our first step would be to determine the occupant load factors. So in our question, private offices are simply considered business areas at 100 square feet per occupant. So when we look at the table 1004.5, we would look for business areas. This would give us 150 square feet per occupant. That's what we're seeing here in the second bullet point for private office. Now, conference rooms would make me a little nervous if I were to see that on the exam. This is because these can be calculated in several ways. However, the question gives us a hint and it tells us that conference rooms should be considered unconcentrated assembly space. This would mean 15 square feet per occupant. That's giving us conference room 15 square feet per occupant in our first bullet point. So now that we've figured out the occupant load factors, let's head to step number two. So thinking big picture, with these various occupant load factors, will the overall count increase or decrease? So in multiple choice questions, Use your answers to help you. There are two options which show an increase and two options which show a decrease. So let's use this to eliminate some options. The question says that the rooms are changing from conference rooms into private offices. And since private offices have the larger area per occupant, this means the overall occupancy of the room will decrease. This means we can eliminate any answers that are talking about, oh, I'm sorry. This means the overall occupancy of the room will in fact decrease. So we can eliminate the other answers that are not discussing that. Then let's head to step number three, calculate the change in occupants. So we know the area of the room is 150 square feet. As conference rooms, we would use an occupant load factor of 15 and divide the room by this. So we have 150 square feet divided by 15. That's gonna give us 10 occupants for the conference room. Next, we'll look at the office. What we're changing to is the office. It'll still be 150 square foot room divided by 150 of occupant load factor. This is gonna give us one occupant per room. So originally we had 10 occupants per room. Now we'll only have one occupant per room. This means a difference in occupants of nine. Now we have to remember to read our questions carefully. The question mentions that there are three rooms in total where this change is being made. So we'll have to multiply nine by three. That gives us 27 occupants. And we remember from step number two 
that the number of occupants is decreasing. So this would give us an overall answer of a decrease of 27 occupants. A couple notes about this question. There is some additional information thrown in here that we don't need to listen to. It tells us the building is two stories. However, this doesn't factor into our answer. So we don't need to worry about that. I would recommend on the exam using your cross out tool to cross out any information that is not necessary. And then uh, this doesn't quite factor into our question here, but if you received a similar question, we always have to remember that we wanna calculate the number of occupants first per room and then multiply by three at the end. So what we wouldn't wanna do is read, oh, okay, this is happening in three different rooms and they're all 150 square feet each. Let's do 150 square feet multiplied by three. If we do that, that could potentially mess up our occupant load calculations if there were any decimals involved. Because whenever we calculate our occupant loads, we always have to round up our decimals to the next highest number. So if there were any rounding involved, multiplying by to get the total area of the room in the beginning would mess up that decimal place. So we always remember if there are multiple rooms, multiply that at the end. That wraps us up for question number one. That's awesome. Uh, you make a great point, Marissa, by the way, um, around sort of uh, removing information that's not pertinent. Uh, that's actually a pretty common kind of tactic that question writers um, introduce. Uh, they're called, like they have a name for this, they're called distractors. And so they intentionally add um, additional information to kind of distract you from, you know, uh, sometimes from what the real kind of core information is that you need in order to solve the, the, the question. So that was a great, uh, a great idea to sort of uh, call that out to people and sort of share that tactic that, um, hey, if you see a distractor in a question, cross it out so that you sort of know, okay, I don't need to worry about that because that doesn't really have anything to do with this one. So thank you for sharing that one. And I'll just note that uh, I don't see any questions specifically for this one. Uh, if you guys do have a question, feel free to drop it in our ARA community, which is over at uh, community.blackspectacles.com. Uh, but uh, go right ahead. Thanks, Marissa. All right, question number two. The architect is designing a new community center in Wisconsin. It is a one-story concrete slab on grade building. At the end of 100% DD, the client reviews the documents. They then inform the architect that they plan to bring freestanding digital displays from the nearby community center into this facility and locate them in the center of the lobby. The digital displays are approximately 24 by 24 by 48 inches tall. Which disciplines will need to be coordinated? Select the two that apply. All right, so we're looking at a client-driven change here. And for these questions that ask you to select the two, three, or four that apply, Sometimes it helps to select uh, the inverse. So potentially it may help you to look at the answers that are incorrect and cross those out in an effort to help you select the two answers that are correct. So one answer that is popping out to me right away as a definite yes is electrical. The question mentions that this is a digital display that would require power. And this means looping in our electrical consultants there would likely be some sort of floor box in the slab for the display to connect to. And this is because the question mentions that it's gonna be in located in the center of the lobby. By that, um, you should be thinking that, okay, if it's in the center of the lobby, there isn't necessarily gonna be a wall outlet to connect this to. 
we wouldn't want to locate a digital display in the center of the lobby and have a long cord running to the wall outlet. That would be a tripping hazard. And so most likely you would want a floor box in the floor for the display to connect to. Okay, so we have electrical. Let's uh, look at some of these other options. So if the display is freestanding in the middle of the room, like we just mentioned, it will need power fed from below. We then look to the description of the building, which is concrete slab on grade. So this would mean that somehow the power would need to be routed through the slab. This means that structural should be consulted with the location and size of the floor blocks to ensure it works with the thickness of the slab. So our answers here are structural and electrical. Just to go over some of these other options, it should be fairly clear that landscape, mechanical, and plumbing do not have action items for the scope. Mechanical would not likely have any venting requirements for a freestanding digital display. Landscape and civil would likely be looking at items that are outside the building. This is happening in the center of the lobby. And then plumbing, there's no water, other sort of connection of that type that needs to go to this digital display. So we have structural and electrical as our answers here. Awesome, no questions on, on my end, so rock and roll. All right, question number three. While, while the architect is completing the finished schedule, the tile manufacturer informs the architect that the floor tile initially selected for the single user restroom has been discontinued, womp womp. The architect is now looking for a similar tile that does not exceed the original price of materials at $382.50 and the restroom dimensions of eight foot six by seven foot six. Which of the following are feasible options? Our options are A, penny tile at 630, B, large format tile at 610, C, penny tile at 590, or D, large format tile at 570? And our answer is D, large format tile at 570. This is another calculation type question. So let's head to the next slide to look at the various steps involved. So step number one, we need to decide between penny tile and large format tile. Similar to our question number one, there are two answers which list penny tile and two answers which list large format tile. If we can eliminate one, that means we can eliminate half of our answers here. So the picture is given with the question. And when we look at that picture, it seems that the tile originally selected was either 12 by 12 tile or a 12 by 24 tile. That looks most visually similar to our large format tile and would not look visually similar at all to a penny tile, which is like one of those round tiles, maybe an inch in diameter or less, and they're joined together. So we can focus on the answers that mention large format tile. Okay, next let's head to calculating the price per square foot of the original tile. So the question gives us the area of the restroom and it also gives us the overall price of the original tile. Now let's calculate the price per square foot. So with the area of the restroom in our exam calculator, we would type in eight and a half by seven and a half. That gives us the area of the restroom at 63.75 square feet. Now using that area, let's calculate the price per square foot. So our question mentions 
$6.50 for the cost of tile in that restroom. Let's divide that by the floor area of 63.75 square feet. This gives us a nice round number of $6 per square feet. I know that when I was taking these exams, it always made me feel really good to see a nice round number. That's a sign we're headed in the right direction. Now that we found the cost of the original tile, let's use the type of tile and pricing to find the best answer. So we've already decided we're going to go with the answers that discuss large format tile. Now let's find the cost that makes sense for us. The question mentions that we need to find a new tile that does not exceed the original price of material. So we need to find something that is $6 or less per square foot. The only answer that works for all of our needs is answer D, a large format tile at $5.70 per square foot. Answer B, while it is a large format tile, it is above the price of the original tile, so that would not work for us. Another test taking tip, try not to get caught up on answers that seem complex. If at all possible, try to compartmentalize the the answers into categories of information that they are asking for you. So while these answers seem complex because it is giving two types of information, use that to your advantage and compartmentalize it. Part A is asking for penny tile versus large format tile. And part B of the answer is just asking for the cost. So try and solve one part and then the next if the question is seeming a little daunting to you. Marissa, we do have one question on this one, which is, um, what about rounding up for tile surplus in construction? How would you think about that in this one? That is a good question. And in a construction or a project that's in construction, you would want to have extra tile on hand. However, for this particular question, we are still in the construction documents phase. And we're just looking for a number to help a uh, cost to help us guide our decisions. So would the contractor purchase extra tile? Probably. But what we're looking for is just to maintain our budget by selecting a tile that is the same price or less than the one that was originally um, selected. Got it. And a, th a thought that comes to mind to me, which is, um, I don't know, sort of this concept right? That, um, you're kind of in this end carb test taking world. Hmm. Um, and, um, there's sort of the real world, which is like really how things work and real construction and then real, you know, practice. And then there's this sort of slightly sanitized kind of, um, you know, almost, um, ideal kind of world, uh, in which NCARB, um, sort of asks all these questions. So, uh, that sounds like a question that may have come from someone who, who knows a good bit about, um, you know, construction and how things work in the real world. But in this case, um, right, let's, you're in, and oftentimes that trips people up, right? That they're sort of like trying to decide, should I think about this from the real world thing or should I think about this in the sort of the end carb um, kind of idealistic world and uh, and answer the, the second way, thinking about this from the perspective of the, the end carb world is a much better way to think about it. Do you have any comments there around that, Marissa? Nope, that is something that I mention in virtual workshops all the time. We have to have our NCARB exam mode on when we're looking at these. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. All right, question number four. So we have a little sketch on the right side, but 
this sketch is intended to help us visualize the question. It's not necessarily something that would show up on the exam. So that sketch you're seeing on the right side is maybe something you would sketch on your own on the whiteboard tool. Uh, so let's read this question and then take a look at that sketch. So number four, the design team is approaching 100% CDs and performs an in-house QAQC. During this session, the reviewer discovers a non-compliant condition at the straight ramp in front of the building. There is not enough length at the bottom landing. The ramp is currently 32 feet long and is already at maximum slope. What should the architect do? We have a few answers. A, remove the intermediate landing to reduce the ramp length. B, provide a switchback landing. C, extend the ramp to decrease slope. Or D, no action required. All right. So like I mentioned, sometimes sketches are provided to you, sometimes they're not. So if you ever read a question and you're feeling like you are having a hard time visualizing what's going on, if you have the time, I recommend going through a sketching exercise on your whiteboard to help you visualize what's going on. But for today, we have it here. So we have a building entry indicated by the triangle. We have a set of stairs that's leading up to the building. And then we also have a ramp that's um, off to the side along the facade of the building. So first off, let's eliminate some answers we don't like. I don't like answer D, no action required. Um, your QAQCer has already said that there is a non-compliant condition. We need to make sure that ramps and various other areas in the building are compliant. So let's eliminate D. Let's remember that our landings are minimum to, are required to have a minimum of 60 inch length. For any of my folks who are from California out there, we have a different length required at the bottom of that landing. But when we're on the exam, we need to remember to use ADA and not your local jurisdictions code. So that's just a quick note to my California folks. Okay, let's eliminate some other answers. So C does not quite solve our problem. If we were to extend the ramp, this would exacerbate our lack of landing issue. C could potentially be a good fix if our ramp slope exceeded the maximum of one to 12 inches or one to 12, but that is not the issue at play here. The issue is that we don't have enough length at that bottom landing. Okay, then let's look at answer A. A seems good, but we have to remember that landings are required when the rise of the ramp is 30 inches or greater. Because we know the ramp is 32 feet long, this means that the total rise of the ramp is 32 inches. An intermediate landing is therefore required somewhere within the ramp. So even though removing the intermediate landing would help reduce the width, it's going to create an additional area where we are not compliant with ADA and that's not acceptable. So we'll have to cross out answer A, giving B as our best answer. So providing a switchback ramp, which changes directions, will leave enough footprint for the bottom landing. And lastly, we have question number five. After reviewing the lighting fixture product data sheets, the client approves all lighting fixtures except for the fixture type selected for the storage room. Per the client's guidelines, the minimum lighting level is 20 foot candles, and there are two fixtures scheduled for that room. Take into consideration the following. 
we have an LLF, also known as the light loss factor of 0.8, coefficient of utilization, which is also 0.8. The storage room area is 20 feet by 20 feet. The lumens is 6,500. And we are given the number of Lumineris equation, which is off to the right. Which of the following solutions is minimally acceptable? We have fixture A, 5,500 lumens, two total. Fixture B, 5,000 lumens, three total. C, 4,000 lumens, three total. And fixture D, which is 3,000 lumens, four total. Our answer is... Fixture B at 5,000 lumens, three total. This is a calculation question. And if I were to happen upon this question on the exam, if I did not have a lot of time remaining, I may consider selecting an answer and moving on and marking it to come back because this does seem like one of those questions that is going to take a lot of time. So if you feel like you don't have the time for this on the exam, remember that wrong answers are not additionally penalized. So you may as well put an answer, mark something there for now, come back to it if you have time. So step number one, we are given the number of luminaires equation, which has a lot of variables. Four of these variables are considered constant throughout uh, the various answers, and those were given on the previous slide. They are light loss factor, coefficient of utilization, the area of the storage room, and the lumens. Let's calculate those out so that we don't get confused with the extra numbers. So right now we're just plugging in these constant variables, simplifying the equation for ourselves. So we get the 20 foot candles, the area of 20 feet by 20 feet on the top. And then on the bottom, we were given the coefficient of utilization of 0 0.8 and the light loss factor of 0 0.8. When we calculate all of that out, we get the number of luminaires equals 12,500 divided by the number of lumens. Okay, so now we have two variables left in our equation. Let's look at these fixture types and plug in the information for those remaining two variables to see which of the following lumens work for a particular number of luminaires. So for fixture A, we have our constant 12,500. We were given that fixture A has 5,500 lumens. When we do 12,500 divided by 5,500, this gives us 2.27. We need to round up because we need to provide the correct lighting for the, the correct lighting levels. And rounding down to only two luminaires would not help us achieve those lighting levels. So for fixture A of 5,500 lumens, we would need to have three total luminaires to provide adequate lighting levels. This would not work because fixture A answer is only 5,500 lumens with two total fixtures. So we can eliminate fixture A. Let's head to fixture B. We'll do 12,500 divided by 5,000 lumens. This gives us 2.5 rounded up to three luminaires. This seems to work because fixture B's answer is 5,000 lumens with three total fixtures. Let's put a soft circle on answer B and let's look at the other two answers. 
picture C, we'll do 12,500 divided by 4,000. That gives us 3.125 luminaires. That would have to round up to four. So unfortunately, answer C is not going to work because answer C is mentioning 4,000 lumens with three total fixtures. Finally, we have fixture D. 12,500 divided by 3,000 lumens is going to give us 4.167, rounded up to five luminaires. And unfortunately, answer D is not going to work out for us because the answer mentions four total fixtures only. So this gives us our answer of fixture B at 5,000 lumens, three total fixtures. Just some test taking tips. So previously on the exams, you would have seen this question as a type a number in the blank sort of question. Um, but NCARB has recently announced some exam changes starting in the end of February 2024. Those types of questions where you have to type a number in the blank are not going to exist anymore. So you would now see that type of question in something like this, a multiple choice format. So hopefully this will make it easier on the exam um, rather than, you know, having an open ended question where you have to type in a number. That's a good tip and a good update. Um, because as you say, uh, they indeed, NCARB did indeed uh, introduce some some new new uh, changes, some changes, I should say, to the exams. And that's a great one. Uh, so thank you, uh, Marissa. I don't see any, um, any other questions uh, in the community. So I'm going to take it from there. And I just want to say thank you, uh, Marissa. It's been a, such a pleasure having you today. Uh, and uh, I know personally, I appreciate you uh, helping to support the architecture community by putting this, um, putting these questions together and, and sharing them with uh, with the group. So thank you so much, Marissa. Awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, just a reminder, our next ARE Live will be on February 21st, and we'll be discussing the PCM exam. So you can go and right now you can go to blackspectacles.com slash pod, podcast to register um, uh, and, and sign up and make sure you're you're ready to go for that one. As a reminder, we offer a referral program for firms and schools where if you introduce us to your boss or the uh, head of your HR, and if your firm signs up, uh, we'll provide you with a $250 gift card. So to participate, follow the instructions on this website here, blackspectacles.com slash group dash referral. Uh, congratulations to, I think this is uh, Van Van Bunkady. Um, You posted on our ARE community today, and you just won a free Black Spectacles t-shirt. So congrats. Um, thanks for posting. We'll reach out via email uh, today to get your size and shipping information. So we'll be, we will be in touch soon. And just a reminder to all of you, if you'd like to be eligible uh, to win a free t-shirt, post a question uh, during our ARE live sessions in the community um, and you know what? Our community is always active. It's not just uh, for ARE Live. Um, it's a place where you can uh, find uh, great content to help inspire you and, and motivate you throughout the uh, the exams. Also a place where you can ask questions um, and get expert answers from, uh, from licensed architects. So feel free to check that out. <clears throat> As I mentioned earlier, many of you may know Black Spectacles. We're the leader in architecture test prep. Uh, we work with learning scientists and architects to ensure you're studying the right content for the exams and that you retain it so that you pass on the first try. And so as a thank you uh, for the, all of you who uh, joined today, and if you're ready to start studying, uh, we're happy to offer you a 15% discount off of any membership. 
uh, with code PDDLIVE15, uh, which is valid until January 24th. Uh, let's see. Uh, so finally, be sure to stick around for a minute or so just to take a survey, uh, share any suggestions you may have. I promise uh, we read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. Thanks for tuning in.